You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, new technology, internet, uh, gaming, all kinds of things that uh, interest us and interest you out there in radio land. Uh, so we're very excited to have you with us. Tonight on the show, we're joined by Maze Wallen and Karen Favell. How are you both? Good. Great, thanks. Uh, Karen, great to have you back in the country, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the show. Certainly. Uh, I'll be with you also. I'm Warren Davies. I do have a bit of a cold, but we've got a bit of a system and a plan here just in case things go pear-shaped. So um, just put up with the, the husky voice for a little while. Uh, this week on the show, we'll be speaking to uh, Dr. Stefan Waltz, who's Associate Professor at RMIT and founder of RMIT's Games and Experimental Entertainment Lab, uh, G-Lab. Um, we've got some interesting things to talk about there. Uh, we'll also be talking to uh, Karen about the tech industry in Vietnam. She's been uh, ensconced uh, for the past three months um, in those humid climes, and she'll have a bit to tell us about what's going on there, and also a little bit more about our town hall, which she's been working on uh, both here in Australia and uh, over in Vietnam, which is exciting. Before that happens, uh, we should uh, touch on a couple of items that are making news at the moment. Um, one of the things that we have been following a little bit over summer uh, is the uh, streaming services and the wars, I guess you could call it now, uh, in Australia. Uh, May as I understand, uh, Netflix is actually launching in Australia this week, is that right? I think it's already launched, hasn't it, on Tuesday or Monday? Right, right. <laughs> so it's the Australian version, so people yeah. may may already have been using the US version, I understand. Yeah, making faking their way into it, I guess. <laughs> right, okay. So um, what's the what what's the benefit? Why would you make the switch or why would you even Well, I guess now you don't have to fake your way into it. Um other than that, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of benefits. There's, the US version still has about six times more content than the, than the Australian version, um, and which I guess I'm hoping the audience feedback kind of dictates more content or more preferable content. Sure. Um, well, customers will vote with their, their feet or their fingers, won't they? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, the pricing plans are really similar, though. They go range from eight ninety nine to fourteen ninety nine, and I think that's to do with how many streams you can have going at once. So that's a month, is depth. it? Yes. Month. Great. Okay, eight dollars ninety nine. Yeah, for a single stream. So I guess if you don't want to share, sure, you can have that. <laughs> sure, you might yeah. need a couple. Um, so the fam- so four streams, four um, K, because everyone's watching devices in their own rooms now, or spread yeah. across the couch. Um, Fifteen dollars. I don't know. Seem- seems okay. Um, if you're yeah, happy to I pay think for it, it's a good deal. I guess um, more issues are a lot of Australia still has a really slow internet connection, and yeah. buying the really high def uh, deals probably isn't worth it for a lot of people. No, I was struggling with that with um, um, the thing that came out of South by Southwest, uh, Meerkat. So sitting yeah, there trying right. to load the video streams and just going, this yeah. is really going to struggle here in Australia because it's just too slow. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Um, but there's some other competitors as well. So, yeah, um, like Foxtel has launched um, Presto TV, um, which is kind of more another streaming thing, I guess, mm. with all of their channels. Um, and Apple is also looking to launch a 25-channel service for streaming on their devices, um, soon to be 
in the US. I'm not sure they've released a proper date yet. No, it's interesting with Apple. They 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 have a reputation for being innovative, but they're often you know a fast follower rather than the the mm. first person to to release something. So that seems mm. to be their strategy: see what people come out with, and then we'll do it better and cheaper and flasher, perhaps. Yeah, a nicer design. I was reading that um, most of the comments from them were just about how outdated um, TV interfaces were, and that they should just be touchscreens, I guess. That is uh, that is interesting, and there is obviously uh, uh, Stan as well, which has um, mm-hmm. been advertising a fair bit, which was I think the Channel Nine, and oh, there's a conglomerate behind that one uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So we shall certainly keep an eye on that one. Uh, the other thing that's um, that caught my eye uh, in the past couple of days, um, obviously we, we've got the debates going on uh, in Parliament uh, today and sort of over this week about uh, how much uh, data we should be retaining um, uh, through ISPs and, and how much of our you know breadcrumbs um, we should be keeping. But over in India, um, they've actually had a victory where. Uh, the Supreme Court has actually struck down a controversial uh, internet censorship law, um, which was causing a, a bit of grief. Um, so it's a good day for, for freedom of speech uh, in India. Um, the main issue seemed to be uh, it was quite ambiguous. Um, the regulation or, or law was uh, Section 66A. Uh, which had a number of clauses. So punishment for sending offensive messages through communication services, etc. Uh, so sending any information that is offensive or has menacing character, uh, information that's known to be false uh, or for the purpose of causing annoyance, inconvenience, danger, obstruction, injury, insult, um, humour. You know, I made that one up. But there's, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that can be um, fairly uh, loosely interpreted. Ellie, any electronic mail or a- electronic mail message for the purpose of causing annoyance or inconvenience. Um, so, you know, effectively a large part of what we do that's fun and interesting with our, our senses of humour uh, online. So, um, yeah, it's actually, it was filed, uh, the challenge was filed against the law in 2012 uh, when a student uh, was pressed um, following the arrest of two girls over a Facebook post, uh, which is an interesting story, which we might post uh, on our um, on our show links later and, and on our Facebook page. So um, that's good. It's good to see that um, all over the world, um, common sense can prevail, yeah. which is important. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, things that are interesting and, and make our lives complex, um, you may have pondered uh, at any point in your day, um, what would your life be like as a game? Uh, for many people, uh, that is their life as well, um, who love to game. Um, and we have a lot of gamers listening. Um, hello this evening. Um, but as more and more organisations, practices, uh, products and services um, are infused with game theory, we must consider the impact that has upon our lives. Uh, a new book, uh, A Gameful World, examines these issues and has perspective from more than 50 luminaries from academia and industry. And we're actually now joined in studio by uh, the author uh, of A Gameful World, uh, Dr. Stephen P. Waltz. Um, Stephen, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Uh, so what are the games that uh, are where other willing or unwilling participants in our day-to-day lives um, today? What, what sort of things would we have been facing that um, uh, mm. are actually game theory or, or, or sort of touched upon in your book? Right. I mean, uh, are you guys using any fitness apps at the moment on your smartphones? Uh, no, no, you're unfit. Should you're, be, probably. You're unfit people. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I do use Runkeeper occasionally for, oh, for, for, for rides. So Runkeeper, for example, offers yeah. a um, story-based um, uh, feature whereby you, um, the longer you run, the more um, a sequence is in an interactive narrative you're you know, uh, opening up, you're leveling up, basically, and uh, mm. that is clearly... Of course, a form of storytelling, but because you have to reach the objective of one um, section, 
running basically to the you know self-set objective. Um, it's a form of um, gamification, you could say, or gamefulness, using a game element to reach an objective, and then you're being rewarded with the next chapter in the story. So that would be a good example. Mm. Um, Nike Plus is a widely known um, service that you know lets you compare yourself, compete against your friends and buddies, phantom running, that kind of stuff. Um, Foursquare certainly was the blueprint. Uh, a couple of years back, um, giving you, rewarding you with points and badges, letting be a mayor of a place that you would unlock. I know um, Kindle's doing that if I'm reading a book over the absolutely. weekend and things mm. like that. Well, a lot of services these days. Yeah. It's it's something that we, a couple of years back, uh, in academia at least, uh, you know, and also in other places, of course, but we kind of prognosed that that would happen and you mm. could Gartner hype cycle wise we're right now i think in in the valley of uh, we're past the disillusionment we're getting into the the insertion of uh, that kind of stuff into all kinds of services so i run into people in academia but also when i meet clients with working with industry partners of course not of course what we do um and they say oh yeah and then we'll add something to you know keep the customer engaged and motivated Mm. so one way to do this and to of course alter behavior and influence behavior (coughs) to motivate perhaps is using game elements Mm. Mm. so so why do we respond to game dynamics at at a human level what 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 pushes our buttons? Well, I think one thing that we're trying to stress for the book too, and just in the in my everyday uh, work, I guess, is that this is nothing new. You know, games and play have been instrumentalized and used forever and ever uh, in cultures. It's always, you know, we're quite prone to think of it through the lens of technology, of course, because with the computer, games can be anywhere, everywhere. And it has a lot to do with other trends such as, you know, self-quantified self, um, measuring what you're doing, data that then lets you prognose what you're going to do next or really recommends that, recommendation engine. So there's lots of stuff that really comes through that and is propelled and further amplified through the usage of game elements. But it's, as I said, nothing new. Look at the situation as an art movement in the 1960s. You can go further back in history, and I don't want to bother you with my stupid and uh, boring uh, history lessons, but, um, you know, the uh, use of games to appease people in the Roman culture, um, you know, the Colosseum. Um, so there's many and plentiful examples of how that has been happening. Now, again, as I've said, the interesting question is how does that change given the digital age and the possibilities? And one of the things that's happening is that we see that uh, a lot of stuff, of, of this stuff is happening in health and in mm-hmm. fitness. It's a very powerful market in itself. Um, we'll see a lot of things happening there, not just in fitness, but really in the way that insurances are keep will keep tracking. We'll say, uh, how long have you been driving? And not just health insurances, but long, how long will you drive? And we'll uh, you know match our your your cost, your fee according to your drive mm-hmm. cycles, your patterns, and that might be then considering uh, con- could be tied to the how healthy you are, how how fit you keep, how often you use public transportation. Uh, what uh, do I know? Right, um, I'm not in with the insurance. Uh, um, uh, corporations, but um, so I think um, actually what we call we call this uh, we meaning 
colleagues and, and myself, of course, uh, we think that all this is t- based in a, what we call ludification of culture, that we see play and games in a lot of places. We see them as services, such as Can Academy in education, where you get badges and points. If you do your education, you don't probably need to go to uni anymore. I shouldn't, shouldn't be saying this as a university professor, but then at the same time, it's true. You see a democratization of, of all this stuff, so that's also very interesting. comes along with you know letting people try out things, play fully and then you hook them on you onboard them um, you see this um, in sustainability eco score there's a service mm-hmm. ca- called car uh, car to go which is not available in Australia but it's uh, all it's in the US it comes from originally from Germany um, it's a Daimler um, um, service and um, where you you are being rewarded for driving using less fuel mm. Which is a way of gamifying the, you know, the the driving experience, and so um, we see this in mobility, uh, where people are, where the question is, how do you engage if the car drives autonomously? People are bored, they're stuck in traffic. What we're we going to do, right? And um, you'll see this in uh, in many places, I think. And this is, on the one hand, interesting and exciting. On the other hand, as you said, or asked. What are the consequences? That's something we're trying to address there because um, some people, some companies, most of the companies are after your profit and your data. Let's face it, it's how it is. Uh, you could say that there is a trade-off for that, right? Which is uh, we have more convenience, we have more, uh, we have cooler experiences, but we give something away for that. So one of the consequences for that is, well, let's make it enjoyable and add some game elements, and you can compete and hang out with your buddies and socialize and what have you. And there is a prize for that, right? Which is that people through technology know and can prognose and accumulate data about your behavior. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. And I'll shut up then. Gamification is really about, or what I prefer the term gamefulness really, is um, can be used to just make a profit, right, in some way. Then there's others who believe that games and play are great tools to free ourselves, that they're a social revolutionary tool, right? So what's really important to me, and that was one of the starting points of the book, was to stand back and say, hold on, what is the rhetoric What's the agenda behind all these services, right? So we've got a couple of services there as examples. We've got approaches. We've got looking back at history. um, And we're looking into what are issues such as privacy, who owns that data, right? And that goes out for whatever. I always tell my students, I say, so have you ever thought about what happens if Facebook goes bankrupt? Like who owns the data? Like, where is the data? Oh, there is no place. It's in the cloud. Ooh, that's too bad because who owns the cloud? No, you don't know because the cloud is ephemeral, right? It doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? Um, anyway, so many questions there. So um, really stepping back and asking what is the agenda there, that's, I think, uh, crucial. And because we as the people, we get to decide what we're going to do with that, right? And and uh, I, I love the fact that play and games are something where, like, in a way, are breaking down the social borders. That can happen. But... At the same time, there are, you know, I have met a gentleman today from UNSW, Michael Kuzamovich, I think is his name, and he's an evolutionary biologist, and he just says basically, you know, games and play, all of this is really because we really indulge in computing so we can have better sex, I mean, sex with the mate that 
fits perfectly, and that's why we are only prone to playing. And I think he has a point there. It's very, very interesting. And of course, if I'm saying this, people in my uh, community will condemn me for having made a biologist example, uh, but it's just probably the truth. But we don't know yet. But this guy, Michael, he just had, he made quite an impression on me today. So I was like, hmm, maybe I'm just doesn't matter you know it's all about competition and i mean but games are not just about competition right so that's interesting i, I do want to ask you about that one of the um I'm most of the way through dataclism which is a really interesting book about um the collection of data from from dating sites so it's one of the founders from okcupid but he pulled data from google books and from facebook and, and lots of places and it's interesting when you look at what people are doing for a selfish end to find a partner or to find a job or, or, or what have you. People, what they say about race and, and preferences and all of those things are very different to what they actually do. So it was very interesting to see the, the kind of with the rich data set that they have what people do when they want to achieve something. But the interesting thing about gaming is once you exclude kind of, you know, um, being incentivized to perform a task for, say, a corporation, when you're doing gaming for only for gaming's sake, what, what do we learn about people? I mean, it's one of the interesting things. We're one of the only animals, you know, if you can call us that, yeah. who, actually, who actually pursue well, we gaming for fun. we are certainly animals. I think we're yeah. quite sophisticated animals with cities and that kind of stuff, although mm. the ants have cities too. Anyways, but what, 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 do you, what do you learn from the? What are some of the metrics or some of the things that you observe when you see people playing games, when there's, they don't get anything out of it necessarily, if there's no, if there's no, you know, biscuit or reward at the end. If it's in, if people are intrinsically motivated, and you've got a well-designed game that does that, does achieve that for them. Um, one of the things that, well, let's start. Let's say health. Um, what I know, projects that we are working on uh, at RMIT and at the G Lab. Um, it's interesting to let people set their own objectives, and if you allow for that, such as weight loss, for example. So obese people, working with obese people um, who suffer from uh, lifestyle diseases, so-called lifestyle diseases, such as diabetes type 2, COPD, hypertension, all those sort of connect. They have what um, the... Um, uh, the medical uh, pros call uh, comorbidities. So, you know, if you inflict one, you're very likely to get another. So what we've been seeing is that people um, who are inflicted with that, of course, don't want to be preached at, I guess, in terms of, hey, you can be slim, because they know it's a lie and they probably never will be slim unless they are very, very, they have a lot of willpower, right? So I think what you can, before I'm going to even answer that, the question is how do you design a game well? Or game element well, so it does do something, achieve something. And if you achieve that, which is very hard work, and it takes a lot of user testing and a lot of hanging out with people who are you are trying to address and you know speak their language, speak the medium needs to be conveying the right message, right? Mm -hmm. And hit the audience and and then grasp the audience. So you need to test this, and then what you can learn about people is, for example. Um, what we've been doing is we've, we've let people uh, customize uh, their fitness level. So basically the application will cater and will offer things that are sort of playful exercises, but uh, according to the fitness level, which a lot of fitness applications don't do, right? They tell you 10,000 steps, that's great, you know, <laughs> which is not really true for someone who's 120 20 kilograms, right? Mm. It's not the same. It's a lot of work, much more effort that you'd have yeah. to when you're slim. So what you can learn about people is will they, for example, pick up that Will they get it? Will they then like it? Well, that is a very complex question because just because someone plays something doesn't necessarily mean that that person likes playing that. It probably means that that person it has a certain constituency 
has a certain disposition and maybe wants to hang out with their friends. Maybe maybe you could say there's a field called personology, so the study of personality. We all have personality, right? Mm. With traits, with some are, I don't know, friendlier than others, let's put it this way, <laughs> and uh, are inclined to be uh, relaxed about situations, that kind of stuff. So personality, right? And so you can cater to certain personalities, and thus the way that uh, then they play a game or, a game or use a game element could tell us a little bit about their personality, for example. So, mm, and really, in, in, in hard data, in hard data, we can learn a lot using games and play. But we could also learn this by using a fitness app that's just not gamified at all, right? We can learn where, under which circumstances, with whom, during which weather, did subject X play for a certain amount of time. How intense was that? That's mouse click. So I'm talking about hard quants, right? Mm. So what does that tell us? That really then depends on the good question, right, that you come with. Um, I don't know. Like if you want to know about frequency of play, it can tell you something about the the day of time, which then means that you could start offering similar things during the day, uh, the, mm. the, the time of day. That would be kind of interesting. And there might be a pickup rate. There might be something where, depending on the types of things that you seem to be picking up, you could be offered similar things, like Amazon does it. But Amazon does it inversely, right? They start with, because a lot of other people have purchased this item, we do think, we believe that you will do the same thing. What gamification might be doing is that it could add... Um, or gameful uh, things that it could add a um, bottom-up approach to all this, where you know because you're doing this, you have a likelier. Uh, it's likelier that you'll uh, might be doing something similar. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So, it's 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 very hard to to answer that question because it really depends on what you're looking for. It's like with all big data questions. Big data, that's great, but who's going to look into, into this data that we're generating, right? That takes uh, like tens of thousands of people for one person. So really um, you need to know re- relatively precisely what you're looking for and then you can design for that and then you might find it. Okay. It is uh, 7.23. You're on Bite Into It. Uh, we're speaking now with uh, Dr. Stefan Waltz uh, about his book, uh, A Gameful World. Um, one of the things I was interested in asking about was um, with the people that you spoke to, I understand there was uh, um, around 50 contributors to the book or you, you went out and spoke to a lot of people about their theories and, and, and particular expertise. Did, did you discover anything that you, you, you weren't expecting? Did you go in with a, a, a preposition about what your thoughts on, on gamefulness were and were, were you surprised or what were the, some of the things that challenged you? We wanted the book to be so that it just does not portray the, yeah, games are great view, or that's all great. We wanted to have people who say, and who are very vocal about this, like Ian Bogus from Georgia Tech, who says, this is exploitation where, or if this is being used by marketing people, just want to sell a product, and they are not after designing a, a, a well-designed experience. Like lots of game designers out there, and I know some of them are listening. Well, their goal is first and foremost not to alter every day. Yeah, every day. Maybe they might be wanting to do this, but they want to deliver a really good game, right? That's it. Flight to Fantasy. That's it. Maybe now um, some many of them are also changing that and want to deliver a game that might be sticking, like a good movie. Sometimes it's not just about the action or the gore. 
or the romance, but it's about something else. There's a little message in there, right? So that's what the um, the medium is evolving into, which is beautiful and it's wonderful. People have been designing games for a long time. Now, what we wanted to achieve with the book was to have a to let the I guess the reader decide and make up their minds as to is this a utopian thing is that a dystopian thing and there's many views on that and um we are we as editors are not the ones to tell you however i believe in the power of games and play i think they're great there's this great stuff i think they're essentially they're very much at the essence of the quintessence of what makes what makes us human you know i like look at my daughters and they play right they want to play with me all the time and then you know that's that's a driving factor it's very human so that's a good thing i guess and that's and did we find something i found out about a couple of really interesting projects there's uh community play uh, stuff in cities in the u.s that I found very interesting. There's sustainability stuff. There's Jane McGonagall stuff. Jane really McGonagall. She's yeah. uh, one of the spokespeople. Um, she's uh, got a very, let's say, unique idea about how to change the world. She says we can tackle the big questions. We can change society. We can save can fuel. We can, you know, work on. And, and she's very, yeah, outspoken about this. Some say that Jane sometimes is a little over the top. Because not everything she says is, uh, let's say, um, scientifically sound, but um, she is uh, she is a very driving character, and I I think that's a good thing. Um, and she comes from a time um, when we, because we've met a long time ago, when uh, a lot of people thought that games were just child stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think with this book, we want to show that this is not the case anymore. And it just doesn't have only to do with me now being 41, and I've grown up on this. Mm-hmm. But I think it just has to do with that games and play are, with the computer and the computerization of society, they have found the perfect platform to be anywhere, everywhere, right? And this is something that we want to show with the book. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm learning Duo in Spanish at the moment, and Duolingo is amazing mm. with its gamify. You know, you want to keep learning because it's fun, and you get the da, 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 you know, and then you win and you level up, and mm. it's so cool. Is it is mm. it stra- is it strange to anyone here that um, that hasn't been more readily applied or quickly applied to education? Like when you look at what children are doing most of the time when they're not supposed to be learning they're playing as, as you mentioned with oh, your daughters but there's so many there's services lot. there's yeah. really a lot of games out there the mm. problem in the, in I, the I mean actually days. within the school system no, oh, so you go yeah, into a classroom all, environment and you have to sit there for totally. 40 minutes and right. consume in a you rote fashion I tell you this sure. I think one of fundamental problems has been that um, a lot of people coming from what used to be called serious games mm. you know that um, typically these games were very expensive to produce and in order to mm. really reach out to an audience you'd have the, the old belief was basically oh you need to have a really sophisticated game and that would very easily cost a a couple of hundred thousands of dollars right if not more to reach that level of sophistication that you get from a triple a title that you can purchase somewhere um now those days are over right because we have uh mobile applications there's other ways to do it there's probably just an insertion of like a little fanfare or whatever into a service and that doesn't make it a game right and this is also something else maybe it just doesn't matter anymore if it's a game or not i think this Mm -hmm. is also what we're, we're seeing what i mean with the, having quoted the or pointed to the Gartner cycle, life cycle, it probably just doesn't matter as long as the experience is works right. That's probably the point. That's why, uh, in a way, <laughs> we're almost saying. And sorry, I have to say this, but I mean, we've been do- working on the book for three, four years, but we're like, hmm, maybe, 
maybe it's 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 going to be there anyway so maybe let's move on and let's talk about uh, or is there interesting behaviors that we can alter and then the question is some, i'm sometimes say people come to me these days and say can we build a game and i'm like that's the wrong sorry i have to say that's the wrong thing to say the, the i think a good question should be here's this behavior or here's this thing that i'd like to change uh huh. and then i'm going to ask something like uh, who's the target audience uh, under which circumstances does this take place what is the outcome that you ex that you'd like to see and what's the, sh the the bad stuff that you might think that you know of might happen and here's the right tool it might be a game element it could also be a tea towel who knows right <laughs> <laughs> well you never know and that's the thing yeah. i think um there is uh games in play are great uh, but they have their place and they are time and that's something to also very peculiar I think about them so not that's they're just not the overall and general reply the reply is love my friends love <laughs> love 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 if you'd like to uh, if you'd like to get that reply in person uh, Stefan I understand you're speaking um, at uh, how to play in a game for world which is being presented by um, Deloitte Center for the Edge um, which is coming up uh, on the 2nd of April I believe um, it's a uh, sort of like a morning what, what's the format what, what do you understand it's a new format that I've never tried before uh, I call it a talk shop mm. so the idea is um, people pay uh, 80 bucks for that they get a copy of the print book and they get a talk by myself and by Pete Williams, who's the CEO of uh, the Lloyd Center for the Edge. And as you know, he's uh, only, not only present, but he's quite present. And he's, he knows his tech. He's got his tech down. And um, not only that, he's a cool guy and good guy and horse, uh, aspiring horse whisperer, as I know. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and then we're going to do a workshop and uh, where I have invited people to bring their own challenge. So I'll try to work out as I've just described it, like, what's the thing here? And as I've said, we might end up with a game or a gameful thingy, but you never know. Maybe it's a cup of tea or something. And what I've designed for that, actually, because I couldn't just sit it, let it sit there and say, oh, I'm going to try this new format, but what then? I've designed something, and I'm going to disclose this right now. Gosh. Um, Deloitte have done a study recently about growth sectors in Australia, saying, um, and I think the URL is is building the lucky country dot com.au and so they have identified 25 growth sectors and another four that are old style you know mining that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um, and um, and I've designed a cart game of sorts a prototype that I want to play test there, uh, which basically has these growth sectors, but I've added a couple of growth sectors, such as personal growth. I thought that was, you know, not not unimportant actually. Uh, I had a tumor there, in, uh, but then I removed it. And then you've got impact cards, such as Tony Abbott is one of the impact cards, and Angry Birds is, and uh, other cards, of course, like Revolution, War, Peace, and you know, um, Armageddon. And um, we're going to try to. Uh, you know, create new types of business ideas, playfully so. But then when I thought about this, like, growth, that's, you know, that's for people who've got wealth and money to invest. I don't have any money to invest. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've got, as I said, a lot of love to invest um, into my daughters, that is, and, and my and my spousey. And so I also have got this courage that are asking ethical questions, such as, is this stuff creating more jobs? 
Is this conveying mindfulness? Is this um, doing us good, right? Is it simple? Is it enjoyable? And so I'll want to work with these cards to basically demonstrate that, yes, prosperity is good, but it's also in the eye of the beholder. And we better check if we talk about prosperous place, what type of prosperity we mean. And if you have a point of view on that, you can uh, go along. I think the tickets are $80 and might still be available. It's at uh, Donkey Wheelhouse. Um, so uh, you can check it out on That's Melbourne or um, Deloitte will have that up on their site as well. Um, if you're interested in buying the book, uh, uh, Stefan's book is The Gameful World, um, put out by MIT Press. Um, get the hardback for about $35 or something like that. That seems a good deal. I think it's a little more, actually. But in Australia. Yeah. Uh, I think it's 54 Oh, But oh. it's much better. It's Pitching much better price than... Oh, look, it's academic press sometimes you pay 120 bucks for those kinds of books but mit press makes it happen right yes of course you could have published it um with an open source publisher which i did with my last book if i may say (laughs) so hopefully hopefully you will get some dollars um to share with your love this oh you never get dollars out of these kinds of things my friends that's an illusion and it's okay it's community service in a way i think no worries you're listening to part into it on three triple r you are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. On Bite Into It on 3RRR. One of the things that is also worth spending money on is uh, travelling and expanding your horizons and um, and uh, meeting new people. And one of the um, Bite favourites and Bite alumni, uh, Karen, has been uh, in Vietnam uh, since around Christmas time or thereabouts or New Year's. Uh, working on her um, her business and uh, doing all kinds of things. So, Karen, what what, what made you pull up stumps and and pitch your tent in in Vietnam? What's <laughs> what's going on there? Well, I'm a great fan of podcasts, and one of the podcasts I listen to a lot is called Tropical MBA. And on one of the, their shows, they'd mentioned that Saigon is quite uh, a, a hub spot of a lot of entrepreneurs. So, and that it's kind of that ideal ecosystem for, um, you know, the low cost, there's developers there, there's a lot of um, other people doing the similar thing. So, and once I'd done a few Google searches and come across some blogs showing some very cool cafes there, I thought, well, that's sounding all pretty good. There's a little bit of Melbourne there I can deal with. Exactly, it. exactly. Yeah. Ooh, they've got good coffee. And really, literally, the whole country runs on coffee. It's crazy. But um, so I, I got there and, you know, I wasn't tripping over entrepreneurs and I was like, where are they all? And then I went to a um, hashtag nomads um, event that I just saw was happening. And I was like, where is everyone? And they're like, we're all in the DC. And I'm like, what's the DC? (laughs) And there's a social network called the Dynamite Circle and dynamitecircle.com. It's actually an offshoot of the Tropical MBA, but the Tropical MBA guys don't tend to mention it on their podcast that much, so it was a bit of a sort of like, well, what what is that? Um, which I've now joined, and it is a really impressive network of people who are offering help to each other in ways that I've never seen happen before. Um, it's basically digital nomads um, uh, with all the people that are in different cities like Chiang Mai and Medellin and Colombia and you know, usually, you know, Budapest, usually cities that have got that really great mix of um, high availability of great accommodation, um, good food, you know, easy to get around, transport, co-working spaces. Things to keep you up at night in Medellin. It, right, yeah. I'm sure, you yeah. know, I want to learn the, it was a czar, but the, the certain dancing there that looks out of control. Mm. Um, so... 
Yeah, uh, nightlife, um, good internet, okay. Mm. And for the most part, the internet in Vietnam is really good, except every three months the cable happens to be cut somehow, right. either oh. by a you know, shark biting it. That was the last meme on, on what happened. But And for two weeks it's kind of a bit shaky because they rely on just some other um, connections. But at the, and most of the time it's very, very good. Um, so, yeah, so I set up there. And, you know, the, one of the other things about the dynamic cir- dynamite circle is that you form mastermind groups. So that means um, four or five people with a certain particular interest will really look out for their businesses. So I'm on one around Infusionsoft and um, you know, so I meet every week with four other people who are you know, neck deep in Infusionsoft mastering it and we help each other progress through that. So it's, it's really brilliant. And it's so, there's no sort of um, hierarchy or structure behind it. It's really just a, a loose connection to people and they, they form around interest groups and then right. they Exactly. tasks and so forth. Yeah. So h- how long were you there before you came across this? And oh, what, only, what did you sort of... Put? Yeah, only a week or so. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then I... So it costs $50 a month... Uh, uh, yeah, a month to, to sign up. So you okay. sign up for, th- for three months. And that gives you access to a Ning-based social network, which is pretty right. da- daft, actually. Ning is not a great network. But mm. then there's breakout groups on GroupMe. So there's a live chat channel on GroupMe going all the time. So that means mm-hmm. someone's saying, hey, pr- Frisbee's down here or beer here or mm. drinks up there you know so you can just connect up with it and mm-hmm. we have a weekly brunch too which mm-hmm. is a great meet up time mm. um, so a lot of face to face because that's the thing is it's fine to be a digital nomad and go and you know literally work where you want but mm. you know you kind of need people around especially when you're a solopreneur and mm. you're doing it yourself you, you need other people to keep your your energy going and you know and, and pep talk you so um so yeah and there's also a slack group too great mm. so do the different like um different networks that you have they all uh split in different cities so you can say oh, i'm in saigon and right lunch here or yeah that's right yeah, so right. you know i'm going to bangkok in a couple of weeks and and i'll meet up with other people in the dc network there there's also an annual conference so i think they're having the conference in berlin this year but it's usually um um dc bkk that's the one for bangkok um and people really like getting together and doing that face to face so there is re- it's really a club it's a bit of a boys club i must say but um you you know, the, it's certainly um, um, apart from some of the language used in the conversations, it's it's pretty inclusive. So, how would you compare it to sort of Melbourne's sort of tech and startup scene? Um, what, what are the similarities? What are the differences? Um, before we get to town hall. Okay. Well, um, in terms of Vietnam, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, there's a lot of development going on. Um, you know, in v- Vietnam, there's a lot of development houses. Com- commercial development. Com- yeah. Well, develop web development. <coughs> so, so in other words, there's a lot of providers servicing the US and, and Australian marketplaces. Right. So, um, you know, there's a lot of talent there. Um, you tend to have, you know, accessibility of people. So, for example, I contacted the guy that runs the St- Lean Startup event there and he said sure let's meet up at seven o'clock this is on friday night let's meet up seven o'clock i'm already kind of going oh okay so then we're chatting and i and i told him about town hall and he's like oh, that's fantastic he calls his marketing person at 8 p.m on uh, you know on a friday night i'm like in melbourne you'd be sacked for that honestly you know? mm. Um, so there's sort of an online all the time kind of right, yeah, right. idea there. People are really working hard and not disgruntled about that. It's just because they're serving different time zones as well around the world. Do you think? Or? Um, no, they just have to work really hard. Okay. 
Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, so, you know, they have startup grind there. There's, there's co-working spaces. Um, the interesting thing about the co-working spaces is that uh, you don't really have to pay. As long as you have a, a coffee there, most cafes are quite happy for you to be mm. taking their tables up all day. Um, so, you know, I mean, you know, the, the cost of living there obviously is very, very low. Mm. Um, so I think for a startup, you get a lot more um, you know, runway to keep your startup going. You've got access to great talent and a really strong network. Mm. Did you? Are there any Australian notables or people that you've come across in Australia that you ran into um, over there, or are the Australians that you've met sort of completely new acquaintances? I haven't met many Australians actually. Oh. Um, I've met, no, but m- most from the US. Uh, a lot of French people, um, Germans, mm. yeah, Spanish. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of exciting too. Is that there's a real throughput of all sorts of people, which then connect you into other um, markets. Great. And one of the good things about that is you have been working on Town Hall for, um, is it more than two years now? Yep, two years. um, Launched in January two years ago. And um, it's mainly pitched to the government market. It's been a Facebook app. Mm. So part of my trip to Vietnam was to rebuild the whole thing, which Mm. I've done um, and it'll be launched in the next couple of weeks. Um, It's basically making it um, a freemium. You know, there's a free version of it. It's a a polling tool that's so much more. Mm. So it helps connect you to your audience. Um, so, um, and you know, we're we're talking with Nokia over there, and I've been to the Singapore government, and you know, mm. everything is within a hop away. And so, you know, basing yourself up somewhere like Saigon means that you know it really opens up the the opportunities in the whole Southeast Asia market. In fact, the ABC is doing a, a series on on entrepreneurs that are uh, are mm. operating in the Southeast Asian market, and um, oh, they're talking with me. I may I may be featured on there. I don't know. That'd be super. It would be good. Uh, so what what were the advantages of, of what you're able to do in Vietnam compared to if you had to try and do it in Melbourne or, or Sydney or, or what have you? The cost of development's mm. a lot low, ob- mm. a lower, obviously. So, you know, the talent there um, ranges between four and $600 a month um, or, wow. you know, even lower for some of the s- mm. skill base. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's much cheaper, obviously, to develop there. Sure. Because you're there, it's, it, you know, the possibility of working with people face-to-face um, really helps with you know rolling out what you want, um, and yeah, just you know just that longer longer time um, that you know you've got to your money goes further, but also. It's fun to be there. You know, the food is amazing and I'm riding a scooter around and, you know, it's uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm using a, um, a Skype out um, package for $13 a month that calls anywhere in the world. So I'm able to do my sales calls just as I used to do sitting in Melbourne doing them. So it really makes no difference. Um, we're just four hours time difference. So, mm. you know, I've got to get up and make my New Zealand calls a bit earlier in the morning and by midday, you know... I'm I'm sort of uh, able to get on with development. Sounds great. Sounds like you're living the. <coughs> excuse me. Sounds like you're living the dream there. <laughs> it is a bit like that. <laughs> you are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, Three Triple R, one hundred two point seven in Melbourne. You're listening to Bite Into It uh, this week with Maze, Karen, and Warren. Uh, we talk tech, computing, games, uh, all kinds of fun stuff that's good in your ears. One of the things that we do like to do on Bite Into It uh, is uh, play games uh, and experience stuff uh, in, in a 
physical, tactile environment if we can. Um, one of the most loved festivals in Melbourne and, and probably Australia um, to do with gaming is Free Play, and it's actually turning uh, 10 years old this year. Uh, it is um, a, a growing child. Um, it's on from uh, April 10 to 19, and we probably will talk about it a little bit more uh, as it approaches. But one of the opportunities that uh, we would like to uh, draw to your attention is um, there is a fate at Free Play. Um, if you like a fate and a white elephant or a, or a lamington, um, you can get along. They may not have those things there, but there'll be other other goodies um, spread out on tables. What you can actually do is um, submit uh, an idea for a table uh, at the fate, which I think is on the Sunday. Um, I may be wrong, but if you go to uh, freeplay.net. It's on the Saturday. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the idea behind the fate is to have a bit of a, a, um, a town, uh, town square type thing. Uh, it's the first fate. Um, there'll be games to play, obviously, uh, informal talks, um, workshops to participate in, uh, and there'll actually be a craft fair as well where uh, local game makers will be um, showing their creations and DIY game items for sale, which is great. So if you want to, uh, I don't know, like a wooden game controller or something like that, something yeah. a bit steampunk, you could pick something up. We've got things like zines um, ah, great. and custom controllers and things like that. Ah, and super. Old arcade machine type things and... Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. So if you if you do if you do like your games, but you like it in a more sort of informal atmosphere, and uh, and you like to just go along and have a bit of a look around, uh, and actually chat with the makers and creators, that seems like a great opportunity. Uh, the other opportunity to do with free play is there is um, an on-conference uh, event on the Sunday of the festival that anyone can put in a, a talk idea um, for, um, even on the day. So if you kind of like trampoline or, or any of those sort of um, on-conference type events, uh, it is worth checking that out and, and yeah, putting up a talk idea uh, if you like uh, hanging out with gamers, uh, which is a great way to spend your weekend. Uh, another good way to spend your weekend... Uh, if you are in Melbourne, is uh, Startup Weekend uh, and Startup Week, or Weekend, um, which is on from the 27th next week. Uh, Startup Weekend is a global grassroots movement of active and empowered entrepreneurs um, learning the basics of, of how, to, how to do business, uh, essentially. So it's one of the largest uh, communities of entrepreneurs. Um, there's been about 1,800 events um, in 120 countries, and we always seem to have a very good one here. There's some, been some great ideas and um, businesses that have come through here and gone on to, to bigger and better things, either in Melbourne uh, or internationally as well. Uh, so that is uh, next week from the 27th. So um, if you have, if you've been thinking about, you quite often run into people at a bar and they're like, "Oh, I've got this great idea for this thing." That's you know, um, clothes washing meets sort of you know Airbnb or something like that. Go go down there. You don't have to be a developer. You don't have to be an entrepreneur necessarily. You need all different types of skills. So if you're a, if you're a designer um, or if you're a, an ops type person and you're good with numbers and you want to figure out sort of how many users you need and how much they need to spend and all those types of things. Uh, it's definitely worthwhile getting on down to that. I well, there's startupweek.com.au. If you check that out, there's mm. also um, a whole lot of open days at some of the co-working spaces, so ah, you can great. go and try out places like the um, Inspire Nine, mm-hmm. Queens Collective, New York Butter Factory, and the Hub. So each of them are putting on a one-day free access. That's awesome. So there'll be a bustling lot of people in each of those co-working spaces. Things like Lean Startup are on, and Silicon um, Beach Drinks, uh, as well as a whole lot of their might not be any many spots left but there's a whole lot of office hours which is 40 minute sessions with successful entrepreneurs in in melbourne and there's a lot of them now i mean you know people like the invato folks that are selling theme forest i'm a regular buyer at theme forest and i didn't know that that's actually out of melbourne so i'm going to be meeting with one of the founders of that 
That's excellent. Yeah, fun. it's amazing. Um, so there's some uh, great judges as well. Um, we've got uh, oh yeah, you can you can jump onto the site and, and have a look uh, as to what's going on for Startup Weekend. So don't don't um, don't waste time on that one. Um, uh, it's definitely worth getting along to. Uh, another thing that um, is worth getting along to, just uh, in passing, um, if you have a bit of the, um, uh, the sort of social networking about you uh, or social media is your thing, um, we haven't plugged this for a little while, but Social Melb um, is on um, as, a, I guess, a Friday morning um, breakfast-type event uh, every week. Um, they have been in a variety of places around town, um, but now they're at uh, Plantation Coffee uh, from 8 a.m. every Friday. So... Um, Probably the best way to find out about that is just jump, jump on the hashtag social Melbourne. There's lots of information. and um, It's a great way if you're new to Melbourne or if you're new to the industry per se to meet a lot of people and get a lot of help and advice and, and get plugged in. Um, Karen, you did have a tidbit for us about um, there was something interesting going on with um, drivers of uh, Uber in New South Wales. Is that right? That's right. So, um, you know, the, obviously the in- industry is reacting as it is everywhere. I mean, in Saigon they were banned, Uber was banned, and then it's back on. Um, I really like using it over there because it just saves the translation issue on um, explaining where, where I want to go. But, yeah, in New South Wales um, the industry is um, complaining that it's anti-competitive because, mm-hmm. uh, of course, the, um, you know, the UberX especially is not doing all uh, the requirements in terms of, you know, um, regulation of the cars and licensing of right. the cars, etc. Um, so, you know, gradually it's going to be really interesting to see how these sort of things play out on not only Uber but places like Airbnb as the industry reacts to this sort of, you know, so-called disruption. Mm. Um, so whether once, you know, all these extra fees that will be added on by, you know, the the authorities, um, whether those services can can actually legitimately compete with the incumbents. Interesting. Hmm. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, I did actually use UberX for the first time a few weeks ago, and the fun thing was you could sync your Spotify to um, the stereo of the car. So we jumped in oh, wow. and like hit the Prince, like, <laughs> um, and he was like, "Oh, sorry, I don't know what that is. Like, I've never played Prince in my life." We we're like, "It's okay. It's really, it's <laughs> we'll really taken good. over. <laughs> it's really fun. That's great." Uh, we've had fun tonight. Um, thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you to our guest, uh, Dr. Stefan Maltz, and uh, good luck to his book, uh, A Game for World. It's um, an interesting idea, and uh, we'll certainly post links to the event at the Deloitte Edge, uh, which is coming up on the 2nd of April, I think. Um, thank you to the people who are in studio tonight, Karen. Um, I'm glad everything's going well in Vietnam. That sounds really awesome. Thanks a lot. Uh, Maze, thanks for coming in again and uh, giving us your insight as to what's going on. And uh, also thanks to our silent producer, Dan, who is uh, pushing our buttons this week at short notice, which was great. (laughs) Uh, Have a good night. You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.